series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with these conversations that you'll hear is to bring out the humanness of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. I myself grew up in a very STEMI household where we were always encouraged to be curious and ask loads of questions about the world around us. Maybe that's the reason why I went on to study mechanical engineering, a great subject for understanding how the world works. But by the end of university, I was able to mathematically model chaos, very impressive, but it was only after university that life itself taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy, it doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and here on Innovation, I want to hear how other women deal with that. I want to hear their experiences, their strength and their wisdom about dealing with life. This week, I talk to Michelle Bowie, a genetic engineer. My name is Michelle Bowie, and I am a graduate student at UC San Diego in the Division of Biological Sciences. I'm a member of the Omar Akpari Lab, and we focus on uh, making genetic-based vector control strategies. Are you able to explain to me what it is your research is about? There are a bunch of insects that um, do bad things, such as transfer diseases or are huge crop pests and affect our food supply. And what we try to do is engineer through genetic means other insects in order to either decrease their populations or make them unable to transfer disease. Um, So that's basically our job in a nutshell. So I've read over the years um, articles about sort of genetically modifying mosquitoes so that they Mm -hmm. only produce males, which means they can't reproduce essentially. Is that what your research is? around, you know, that kind of theme? Yeah, so classically, um, there was the sterile insect technique many decades ago, actually, where they did it in an insect called primary screwworm. And they eradicated primary screwworm, which is this fly that um, the larvae bores into living flesh. So it affected um, cattle, affected humans, And basically what they did was they irradiated, they used radiation to sterilize a bunch of males. They released them and and because they're sterile and the females only mate once, um, they were able to mate with the the wild population of females and enforce sterility into them. So over time, we've eradicated in the US uh, primary screwworm and then it's all the, eradicated all the way up to the Panama Canal. And they're still continuing this effort at the Panama Canal. Um, so for us, we were trying to do the same thing with mosquitoes. And instead of using something as random as just irradiating a bunch of males, we're doing it genetically. And um, that's actually our recent paper where we showed by knocking out a gene that has to do with the sperm shape um, and we were able to make sterile males that were more or less uh, as fit as other males in the wild. Wow. And, and so you're hoping to eradicate which disease? 
Yes, so what, um, we are focused on 80s Egypti for this recent paper, but our lab works on a, a huge variety of insects um, that transfer many diseases. But for this paper, it's going to be um, Zika virus, chikungunya, um, yellow fever, and dengue. Um, this is the, this mosquito tr transmits these diseases and many more, many uh, encephalitis is out there as well. Um, but the technology uh, can be transferred over to malaria mosquitoes, the uh, West Nile mosquitoes, and also different insects, if we can get them. What impact will your research have on the rest of us? If we are able to take it into the field, uh, which we're trying to do, uh, what my boss is trying to do, it could potentially decrease mosquito populations out there and lower the uh, availability of infected mosquitoes to transfer diseases to you or me, to people in rural parts of Asia, rural parts of Africa, where these diseases are so prevalent, South America as well, and give people a chance to live their lives without worrying about getting sick with a fever or having to take care of their children and hoping that they can survive over the night. Or it might not be that drastic. It might be you don't feel really bad. Like it's, it hits you pretty much like a hard, like a, like a, I heard it as it hits you like a, um, a small, small sedan, at least a bus will kill you, something like that. Um, but being, being able to help, hopefully help people to not get this disease is what our goal is. I think a lot of people kind of think about uh, genetically modifying anything and have a real sort of resistance to it because we're we're essentially trying to play god you know in in modifying what nature has evolved um what are your views on that yeah um so i go me and many people in the field are very conscious about the risks that we are taking with gene editing with putting our hands onto nature and nature is so complex it always has a way to go around you. Um, with that being said, we have so many conferences, people talking together, committees to discuss these sorts of things. And a lot of it, well, what we try to do is do our best to do our experiments and do our planning as cleanly as possible with as much foresight as possible into the downstream effects. And we also try to estimate what are the possible in issues that might arise and have like plan Bs to address that just in case in the back of our pocket. Um, with that being said, we also have a stepwise fashion in um, making any product or um, before we release these insects out into the wild. We start with small cages. Um, it can be like little tubes or just like tiny little box cages. And then we go a step bigger 
larger cages. These are called population trials. And then you go a, even a step bigger where it's um, a large building in a field somewhere in rural Florida. And then you go, you, you, you eventually talk to um, community leaders, government bodies, and do outreach in order to get an okay within the community in order to release the mosquitoes. Um, so it's a, it's a huge stepwise process um, in the end. There are risks, but as, as with any field out there with risks, we try our best to address those before they happen. Are you using CRISPR? Yes, we are. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about it because um, I kind of get the concept of what it is, uh, but I'd love to hear it from a genetic engineer. Yeah. Um, the scientific term is CRISPR is an RNA-guided endo DNA endonuclease, which is a bunch of words together. Um, but it's basically a protein that acts as a pair of scissors to cut up as DNA. And it's really awesome because using something called a uh, guide RNA, uh, it's, a, it's a piece of RNA, about 20 nucleotides, so A, T, A, T, G, 20, 20 of those together, you can specifically tell these scissors where to cut. So let's say if I wanted to cut um, a specific sequence in, they actually did this in space, in a yeast cell, and it makes them um, red without the presence of histidine, um, then I can engineer this, insert it into these yeast cells, and they'll specifically cut there. And if everything works well, like your target is... Um, only in that area um, and not in anywhere else in the genome, then it will only cut there. Um, so through this way, you have something called non-homologous end joining events where you can chop, chop, and then the DNA will either randomly fuse to itself, um, cutting out a large section, so you have a mutation, or you'll have random insertion sometimes, so you'll have foreign DNA placed in, um, but it's random. Um, but the cool, the really cool part, in my opinion, of CRISPR is small G-directed repair, where you can also tell um, the, the cell uh, what to insert into that, that cut that you made through a homologous uh, recombination. So you're, you're giving it a template that has ends where you cut that are similar to the places where you cut. So you trick the cell into thinking, oh, this is the, the copycat. This is the cheat sheet that I want to fill in the blank. And, but it's the cheat sheet you gave them. So that's how the cell integrates into um, its genome, what you want, such as something as simple as being able to glow green like GFP. Um, yeah, and that's, that's CRISPR. Wow, gosh, it's so, it's so, it's so smart, like, it's just so, like, advanced, um, and it's really interesting to hear you talk about it, because clearly you have such a passion for it. Um, how did you get into it? Um, so I got into 
mosquito biology through happenstance. Um, during my undergraduate, I went to UC Riverside and I was just planning to be a pharmacist. That was my goal. My family's full of pharmacists, my sisters are pharmacists, everybody's a pharmacist. But over my course of my studies, I was listening to podcasts. Um, there was a podcast that was on mosquito engineering. And it was a, um, the work done by Oxitech that's still going on today. And that was in my brain. That was awesome. Was really inspired of the unique and creative ways they handled or they approached controlling mosquitoes. And then eventually I went through English class, did a whole project on um, what would it be like if there was an apocalypse with a disease transferred by mosquitoes. Basically, what would happen if COVID happened, but if it was mosquitoes, right? And that got me thinking like, maybe this is what I wanna pursue. And I talked to my guidance counselor and she's like, if you wanna do this, then sorry, pharmacy isn't for you. I suggest you get a PhD in insect biology or whatever, virology. I was like, okay, I'm scared of insects. So this is kind of rough. So I sat in some undergrad, I audited an undergrad course, trained myself to look at the slides of insects, eventually took medical veterinary entomology, which is a fantastic course for anybody who is interested in insects or wants to go into medicine. Um, and you start learning about all these little nuances and traits in insects and the classic trope, you start feel, fearing what you learn more about happened and it's just the comp the amount of biodiversity insects have as well as their complex relationships with the disease that they carry and he us humans as well it's just so unique um and nuanced and far grander than i can i or pretty much anybody i think can understand and that's what got me hooked um, changed my major, um, got into a lab, um, Bradley White's lab, um, researching uh, uh, Anopheles, so the malaria, mosquitoes, uh, genomics. And then eventually I transitioned to Omar, uh, my current PI, and he's the one that got me into gene editing and this new way of thinking about vector control that focus on genetics rather than chemicals or um, just mechanical control, like capture release, stuff like that. So wow. thanks to him that I learned all this stuff. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh my gosh. So you really were following your heart and your interests. And I mean, I must say for someone that finds insects terrifying, which, you know, I also admit uh, I, I don't like them at all. I would never, I, I just would never be able to look at like them in depth. Yeah, you like, that's how I felt. And then there's certain insects that are more terrifying than others. Granted, I'm still scared of spiders. Lots of entomologists are scared of spiders. There's an Ig Nobel paper on, why entomologists are scared of spiders. It's great. Um, but there's like some really cute insects out there. Like there are lace wings, which are 
um, this type of insect where their wings are like um, like doilies. So they're clear with little patterns with their veins in them. And the cool thing about them is they lay their eggs on, on stalks. So it's like a little, like a pea shoot. So it's a little stalk and then a little egg circle on top. They lay them down one by one by one. And you learn that, oh, it's because when they hatch, the larvae, so the, um, the immature stages, they're, cannibal, they're cannibals, so they'll eat their, each other. So that's why the adult lays them far apart. So they'll hatch away from one another and won't eat each other. So it's little things like this. You're like, they're kind of, that's kind of cute. Mama, mama, mama insect protecting her young with this beautiful, you can look up pictures of them. They're gorgeous. Um, another little, little tricks like bees do a little dance to tell what direction um, the, the flowers are um, and like a bunch of other stuff. Oh, wow. You really are hooked. It's it's quite infectious. Yeah. <laughs> impressed. Um, I heard about the bees thing, actually, and I didn't quite believe it. I was like, oh, I must have misheard that because that's so bizarre. But yeah, I'm hearing it again. And so it must be true. Um, you also don't look like a conventional PhD student in STEM, if you don't mind me saying, which is absolutely awesome that you don't fit the convention. Um, am I right in saying that? And if so, how has it been for you? being you in STEM? Yeah, um, uh, I don't know. Um, I've been blessed with being in very diverse um, institutions, I guess. I have seen, luckily, blessed. Um, I have seen people who are just like me and role models who are just like me as well. Um, certainly, there could be more. I'm thinking about the just like the spread of graduate students in our department. There could always be more. We've had a handful that are like me, Vietnamese American. Yeah, thinking thinking about my department and the department I had in Riverside. Certainly, growing up or doing my undergrad in Riverside, there was a tendency to have more male professors uh, with. By the time I started, I was graduating, there was an integration of more female professors, more professors of color into entomology. It, it started getting away with from the old boys club. Entomology, you think of like Carlos, Carl Linnaeus, which is the, the father of naming things, that big beard, you know, um, white guy walking through everything, pointing at it and naming it. Um, into more a more diverse group of people. Um, for moving, transitioning over to Riverside, I'm mean not Riverside, sorry, San Diego, it already started fairly diverse um, for what I saw. And there is even more hires coming here in with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Uh, for the graduate student um, cohort, it's, I believe, half-half male-female here and with a mixture of ethnicities. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, certainly growing up, my parents um, weren't familiar with what a PhD was. So that's the part where I see where it's, it's 
being different from what um, a normal PhD student or a PhD person um, would look like um, kind of felt weird. It's every, almost every PhD student I've heard depend, regardless of what kind of, who they are has said, oh, it's hard to explain what I do to my family. It's even harder when you don't know what a PhD is. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's probably the only part where I felt kind of awkward. Um, and I've had to do some further explaining uh, what I do and why it's important. Um, yeah. I mean, compared to what some young people have to explain to their parents, I think yeah. uh, you're on the sort of safer end of things. Um, but what's really cool is that um, maybe it's an American thing. I kind of don't want to get into the politics of it, but I've, I lived there for five years. I was in L.A. and I really felt like an embracing of different race and, and, and ethnicities. Um, and that's not what the world thinks. You know, they always think that there's some sort of polarization going on. Um, but I didn't actually experience that. And so it's really encouraging to hear that there are very diverse and inclusive groups within your research um, institution. Why do you think research benefits from having diversity? Speaking, speaking from my research mainly, um, I can't speak with everybody, but for what we do, it's nice to get insight, especially from folks who have lived in areas that, that these insects live in. So I've been blessed to never have malaria, dengue, chikungunya, and I've lived only in Southern California my whole life. Um, we have people coming in directly from Vietnam that had dengue, or have lived in um, Africa and India who have um, had to take the vaccinations and have lived around folks who are dealing with these issues. So they have a personal connection to these diseases and insights that we won't know. For example, um, there's control methods where you give people bed nets treated by chemicals, right? So they'll just, um, the goal is for people to put it over their, their beds while they sleep. But if you are just giving it to people, thinking it's a great idea, you forget how hot it is in Africa. People don't, children don't want to be under a giant blanket when they have no AC, they don't have um, anything else to keep them cool. Um, other things, like I have a postdoc from Colombia um, and he used to work with this insect that causes Chagas disease, the kissing bug um, that sucks on your uh, tears and eyes. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> They're weird. <laughs> but they transfer a disease called Chagas disease. And he was walking around and talking to people about these insects. You're like, you should look out for this insect. You should look out for this insect. And folks respond to him like, I have a higher chance of dying because of either political unrest or the government or uh, something is unsafe where I live versus, so my priority isn't to look for this insect. Um, so insights like that really help us in designing the tools that we have or even talking to community leaders 
once we eventually go into um, those fields. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't actually thought of that, but like maybe the reason why I find your research so deeply fascinating is because my parents are from countries that are really at risk from what mosquitoes can carry in terms of diseases. And, um, you know, as a kid, whenever we went to visit like either Sri Lanka or Malaysia, we always had to take these awful, awful tablets against malaria. And um, yeah, so I have such lasting memories of of those kind of countries that have so much um, in terms of, you know, disease through insects. And so, yeah, I really I really resonate with what you're saying on that point. I'm thinking about the young people who may watch this film and sort of be considering what they might want to do career-wise in STEM or another industry um, and how they might be relating to your story. And one of the things that pops out is kind of the fact that you came from a family full of pharmacists and that was what was expected of you. Um, do you think going into STEM is something that has to be sort of, um, or is, is, do you think going into STEM is really just reserved for people that come from generations of STEM STEM inclined people or can anyone get into STEM? Um, certainly anybody can get into STEM. Um, I, it's not limited to anybody. Anybody who has an interest in watching animal documentaries um, into space, watching things in our space, uh, those old Nova videos. Um, anybody who really has an, a deep respect and interest in science, in scientific methods, science-related things, um, can go into STEM. I've even seen folks who have like a very good mindset that has has is in line with humanities. They can even go into STEM, and they have um, they integrate what they know about. Um, philosophy and literature and, and language into STEM as well. So I think anybody who has an interest in science can go into STEM. For your question about generational um, influences on those who go into the sciences, certainly it's, I always see the grass is green on the other side. My friends who have, have their parents that are professors um that seems like wow my 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 dad or my mom can relate to me and know not to ask me when are you going to be done with your phd um <laughs> that's what i think but it's also really nice to like i still appreciate my parents my dad he is a software engineer um, he inspires me to learn coding, even though I never have, um, except for some minor stuff. Uh, and my mom is a, uh, a clerk for real estate. And even though they aren't in STEM, 
I've seen their grind. I've seen them fight after fleeing from Vietnam after, during the Vietnam War and trying to make a place for ourselves um, and really pushing um, my sister and I into sciences because um, that was their best opportunity. They, what they saw is the best opportunity. Um, they don't understand it. Um, <laughs> science or, or a biological science that is, um, but they, they still are, are very supportive um, in the end of my sister and I. Um, so that being said, as long as your parents or even if your parents can't be it, if the community around you, um, certainly my community has been there, um, can help boost you up into getting the goals you desire, that's give it your effort as well, then you can do whatever you want, STEM, outside of STEM. Um, yeah, that's so true. Like, um, what I really get a sense of with you is that you know exactly what interests you, you know what you're passionate about, and you don't seem to have any reservations in following what interests you. Um, and I think we live in a world today where it's very much about we try to sculpt ourselves um, to be able to fit in and to be able to be validated by the outside world. You know, we sometimes make choices based on what other people might think of us. Um, but I don't get that sense from you. I get a sense listening to you that you do what feels right for you and if people don't get it that's their problem is that true <laughs> um thank you <laughs> um actually I'm very self-conscious about myself like I might I'm like I can there's um there's I have the ability to be confident right and I do love the things I do. I am confident in the things I know, especially around insects, but there's still an underlying in the back of my brain, in the center of my heart, insecurity. Um, and I, it's something I constantly struggle with. And um, like I said, this community that I've had here at, at UCSD, my lab and my peers, they've, even though I've had these insecurities, they, and, and talking to other people have helped me through them and embrace things that I am confident about. And I think that's what has helped me like in talking to you and talking to some students I have and talking to um, other members outside of the community, like people at a bar that are curious about mosquitoes and them constantly in the back of my head saying, no, Shelly, you know what you're talking about. You're, you're good, you're good, um, is super helpful because um, it is something I do struggle with, um, a self-consciousness and yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I, it's so empowering when you can just admit your truth, isn't it? Like the minute yeah. you said, <laughs> Actually, I have a bit of an insecurity in me that, you know, is there, but I actually have a network of people that can help me with that. And being around supportive people is just, that really is where the empowerment is. Empowerment is not the lack of 
security of oneself. Empowerment is owning that insecurity and saying, yeah, it's there, but I've got a way to deal with it. Um, gosh, that is like gold dust um, yeah. wisdom there. I agree. Um, we're all built with different tools in our, tool, our toolbox, different personalities, um, different ways our mind works. Um, and some positive, fantastic, uh, amazing, will get you far. Some that if you're not treated will hold you back. And it's, it's being aware of those things and addressing them and being okay that they exist and understanding this is who you are. Let's go forward from there. There's a, there's a, a way of thinking, forward thinking that we're trying to embrace in our education system um, and teaching our students. And it's a very good mindset. You think of where you can go rather than only focusing on what you have and what you're limited by. Um, so that's something I've been working on for, for myself <laughs> and also my students. Yeah. So thinking about where you could go, where your particular skill set and your qualities and your strengths can take you. Mm -hmm. and, and what you need to get there uh, and what you need to um, really succeed. Um, and that can be from yourself. Um, that can definitely from, be from others. Oftentimes when it's from others, it's a happy surprise. And you look back and you realize, wow, I actually really needed them to tell me I'm not doing something right or something like that, right? Or um, be strict with me or, or give me that boost. Wow, they told me, oh, that's amazing that you found that. And that lifted me up. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes that's what you need. And um, you can either search for it. Um, you can also reflect back on the things that happen organically and embrace it and take it forward. Wow. That's, that's so empowered. Um, what then has been the most um, valuable advice you've ever been given from say mentors or role models or people in your network? Um. I think the best advice, I've been given a lot of advice, fantastic advice. The best advice I've had recently was on a Reddit post. Uh, and <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> the original poster, the original quote comes from a gentleman named G.K. Chesterton, I believe his name is. And it's, um, if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And it's a play on if things worth doing, it's worth doing perfect or yeah, that's a, it's a play on that. And what if, there's many interpretations to it. Um, the original interpretation is um, you should embrace being a generalist and trying things that you may not be good at, like fixing your chair, don't hire somebody to fix it for you. you can, even though you fix it badly, you've done it and you've learned that skill and you've learned that experience. Or uh, for sciences, um, you can pay somebody to uh, clone some, well, I shouldn't clone some, um, to do these injections for you. 
Um, but try it for the first time on your own. See what it's like to be in their shoes or see what the process is like. And you'll learn so much from it. Even though you do it badly and they don't survive, um, you've, you've, you've learned it and you've experienced it and it's in your mind. It can also be for mental health. Um, if I'm having a rough day and um, it takes a lot of energy to um, like, like brush your teeth for two minutes, like the dentist recommended, you know, 20 seconds is better than zero or going out and I can't go out. I don't want to go out to hang out with my friends. I just want to stay in bed all night or all day. Um, take the shower, clean, um, take that like a quick shower, change your clothes. You can still stay inside. Little things like that, right? Um, which I've, I think certainly during COVID um, been really helpful to think about in taking care of yourself. Um, so that's one of my favorite pieces of advice, courtesy of Reddit and GK Chesterton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like as soon as you said that, I was like, no, reject. Um, and that's the perfectionist in me where it's like, no, if I'm going to do anything, it has to be to the best of my abilities. And as I was hearing you out, I was like, actually, that's so true. Like, it is really important to fail. And I'm constantly asking about my guest's attitude uh, towards failure because I think it's so important to fail. But yet I don't hold myself to that, you know, and I, yeah. I, I kind of I um. I just have such high expectations of myself. And I think that's often what um, causes me uh, to not enjoy things. Um, so I love this kind of like, it's just such an easygoing attitude of like, you know, do it badly. Why not? You know, if you, yeah. it's better than not doing it. I think is exactly. What, yeah. Um, so what has been the most humbling experience you've ever had in your life? It was a good long one. Um, with, a, with like my mind still focused on my research because um, there's going to be a lot of inner monologue to think about my entire life outside of research. <laughs> um, it is how complicated the, the insects I work with is. Like they've never failed to surprise me. Like I'll, I will design something and try to get it to work in insects um and they will find a way to have it not work or die or <laughs> something nature deems it, it, something to go wrong in in what I I work in so um we work on another insect called Asian citrus psyllids ACP they are the pests and carriers of disease for a disease that is ravaging the citrus industry. So like oranges and, and uh, mostly oranges. And um, they are hard to work with. I will um, inject um, a handful of eggs and then they will um, emerge to be beautiful um, next uh, nymphs. It, it's just their next stage. I'll put them on lovely plants that I think that are beautiful and gorgeous, and they will either go missing or, yeah, they'll just go missing. 
um, stuff like that. And it's either they're hiding somewhere where I don't know where they're hiding. Um, they've died and, and fallen to the dirt. And I just shake my hands into the air and be like, why? Why are you doing this? Or like they are finding interesting pieces within their, their DNA in their genome that um, they have a bunch of duplications in their genes that we're just like looking into now and realizing, wow, this is for such a tiny low insect, you have a lot of genetic material and that is just so weird and bizarre. And now you're making my life more difficult because there's more stuff to sift through and more stuff that you have to avoid. Um, so certainly nature is just way more complex than what we can see um, with our own eyes and understand. Um, so that is the humbling thing for, for me, yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful because um, nature is so, so deeply complex. And I think that's why science is so awesome because it really gives you an opportunity to sort of like unravel the secrets of the universe. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I went into it because I really wanted to understand how the world around us works. Why is being in STEM rewarding for you? Well, certainly with my field, I was very invested in helping the people that could benefit, such as I mentioned, those who are sick or have the potential to be becoming sick. Um, and then with my agricultural pest stuff, the farmers who um, can't afford to lose any of their crops. Um, eventually it did move on to, or not move on to, but included the fascination of insects and their roles in our lives. Um, and now I'm also getting into uh, more of the teaching aspect and seeing others that are like me um, during when I'm either being a TAIA or um, I was also tutoring this very young, this brilliant young woman who's now 10 years old, uh, lover of animals. And you see the spark in some students' eyes that they, they truly embrace and love what you're teaching them. And they wanna continue it on. And I see that like, I guess not passing a torch, but being able to do stuff that could also inspire and those after me, um, really motivating. I, I, sometimes I learn as much as I can so I can tell other people because I think it's they all love the facts, right? Um, they get a smile from hearing me talk about some weird insects. Um, so that also gives me motivation. Um, so all those three things together is what has kept me um, chugging along in STEM, yeah. It's a hard business, um, certainly, as I, I mentioned with like losing my insects and stuff like that. But um, overall, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't give it up for anything else. Oh, what a great note to end on. Um, I really, I really feel your passion for what you do. And I understand why it's so important um, to be doing what you're doing as well, not just 
for your own sort of personal f- fulfillment, but also like, I mean, the impact you're having on all of us um, through your research. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Good luck with the rest of um, your your investigations on such an important topic. And um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for letting me chat and just ramble on. Um, I will need the luck. <laughs> PhD is, 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 it's not easy, as you know. Oh, yeah. um, so I greatly appreciate the support. It's just been so awesome talking to you. Thank you. Like you really are like someone who genuinely just was born to do what you do. And like, it's just really inspiring. I must say your style is so, um, it's like, I've just never met anyone like you because you have this kind of like thing about you where you're just really cool. And like, there's nothing, um, because sometimes, you know, when you're really high level, sort of like academic, it can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just don't have that intimidation at all. Like, I I just actually really want to know what you've learned and like, learn from you and, and all of that. And so it's just, uh, you know, people like you make science and STEM just really enticing, you know, because it's like, oh my gosh, she's like, she knows some stuff. Like, I want to know what she knows kind of thing. So it's really awesome. Thank you. Keep it. Um, (laughs) Certainly the San Diego vibes helps. Have you ever get a chance to come down to San Diego? Um, Working here really chills you out. Right. One location but the community is chill there is no toxicity well for me i can't say about anybody else but i haven't had any toxicity here it was great um and i am 100 percent for it because that's in the end that's what we so i i i i believe in understanding that our our place in this world is like a puff of smoke um it's just instant like minor compared to like the long scale of time right but it's it's certain things that are meaningful only for us in our small amount of time that's all we have versus the rest of it and if we we, you focus on all these exterior things like um, legacy and like your pride and stuff like that or whatever it's just I don't know. I, I just can't. Yes, I'm just rambling on. Um, <laughs> I, love I just it. think good vibes. What you do to people, how you treat people, and appreciating those around you is what got me through my life, and continues to get me through my life. Um, and I, I feel every day blessed for that. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves. And I wish you all a great week.